I was actually planning to wear it this afternoon to the We Found Sound concert, but I'm a little nervous because it's so loud and uh, you can all hear that. But anyway, why can't every day be like Christmas? I mean, what is it about Christmas that makes it so, like, wonderful? I mean, I mean, I, I, did you soak it in as you were just listening to Elvis saying, maybe you don't like Elvis, so it was like, you know, I mean... It just I, I thought of the lady at the nursing home that always wants us to play the Beatles. We should have invited her today. She might have just loved today. But, I mean, I don't want you to get me wrong. I know for a lot of people, Christmas isn't special. That Christmas brings up some painful memories. It maybe brings up some loneliness. There's some hurt that's attached to it. And so I know that for some people, Christmas is actually a very, very difficult time. But by and large, this idea that Christmas is magical and joyful and happy, and if every day could be just like Christmas, what a wonderful world this would be. And so over the month of the weeks in the month of December, we're going to be looking at, is it possible to have that feeling or have that, that idea beyond December? Can every day be like Christmas? And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, it's no secret to anybody that knows me that I am a lover of all things Christmas. And uh, it really affects every part of my life. I listen to Christmas music all the time. I wear red and green socks, and uh, I'm proud of it. It has affected our cross-country team. We have become Christmas fanatics everywhere we go, and uh, we enjoy it. I mean, there is something about Christmas that just makes me excited. And I could choose to be cynical because of the materialism of Christmas and Santa and all of this stuff. And, and I could let that, you know, cloud Christmas and I could be like a humbug, but I choose not to. I, in, more, and in other words, I just choose to embrace everything and yet use it as a platform to talk about why, to me, Christmas is important. And the birth of Christ is what Christmas is all about. And maybe that's what makes Christmas so special. Because it's about the birth of Christ. I don't know if you've ever listened to the songs, Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, even the, the newer Christmas songs that we sang today, profound truths about what Christmas does. But it ought to affect our lives outside of Christmas time. Now, for those of you that don't know the history of Christmas, I'm going to give you just a brief synopsis because Christmas is a religious and a cultural holiday all around the world. It's celebrated differently, but for Christians, it's about celebrating the birth of Christ. In the United States, it wasn't declared an official holiday until 1870. I don't know if you knew that, but when the Puritans came here, the Puritans did not want to celebrate Christmas because of the pagan roots that were attached to it. They felt like it was too pagan. They didn't want it, but it eventually gained some momentum here in America. But after the American Revolution, it was rejected again because it was a British holiday and we didn't want to be attached to the Brits at all. And so uh, we kind of left it there. But around 1870, it became a federal holiday here in the United States, and it became something that we celebrate, and it's evolved over the years. And lights, trees, wreaths, stockings, carols, Santa, nativities, all of it has just evolved throughout the years. But let me let you in on a little secret. Jesus probably wasn't born in December. If you'd never heard that before, I'm sorry to ruin Christmas for you, um, but he really wasn't. More than likely, shepherds would not have been in the fields in the middle of winter at the night, 
Okay, they would have been somewhere else in the warmth. And so it's not likely that he was born then. Some of the other things we do know about the, 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 the ideas around Jesus' birth uh, show us that it probably wasn't December. It was probably in the spring or maybe in the fall time of year. Um, but here's, here's what we can be certain of. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when he was born. Uh, We have come to celebrate Christmas on December 25th. And we got there because there was a pope named Julius I. You see, no one really knew when Jesus had been born because the early church never celebrated his birth. Because for the early church, no day was more special than other days. Jesus had done away with feasts, and they learned that every day was special. For us, we make Sunday a day of worship, but Sunday is not a day of worship. Sunday is another day of worship. Every day is a day of worship. Sunday is no more special except for the fact that that's the day we choose to gather together and celebrate together and worship here together. That's what makes it special. And we've got to live every single day of our lives like every day is Christmas, every day is Sunday, every day is his day because it is. And so they wanted to start celebrating the Feast of the Nativity, and so he picked December 25th, and he picked December 25th because most cultures around the world have some kind of holiday in December. They celebrate it around the winter solstice. Do you know why they celebrate it around the winter solstice? Because from December 22nd on, the days start getting longer. Praise God. You know, seasonal depression is a real thing. Because we, our bodies need sunlight. We need it. I have a light in my office. It's called a happy light. And it's supposed to give you fake ultraviolet rays. It doesn't tan me, but it just makes me happy. Because it gives me the vitamin D my body needs. And I turn it on a lot this time of year because it's real. And so cultures celebrate it. And the Pope is like, if we're going to get this to like gain momentum, let's put it during a time when people are already celebrating But what happened was the church kind of lost control over the ability to control how the holiday was celebrated, and it kind of took on a life of its own. So for those of you that maybe are upset that, you know, Christmas is about more than Jesus' birth, and you think there's this war on Christmas, I'm actually going to preach that on December 16th, so you'll have to come back. The war on Christmas, December 16th. You're going to hear it right here. You're going to see the war on Christmas. We're going to talk about it. Next week, we're going to talk about little by little how God works in our lives. But today, because today is Advent Sunday number one, the word Advent just means coming or arrival. And churches celebrate what's called Advent. It's not in the scripture, but that doesn't mean it's not good to celebrate. It's just a reminder that Christ came one time, and it's a, the idea of reminding us he's coming again. So Advent is a twofold celebration. There are four weeks of Advent, and each of those weeks is signified by one of the candles in our Advent wreath. So today we've lit in one candle. Next week we'll do two. And then the, the light will continue to build until we light the center candle, which represents the Christ child on December 24th on Christmas Eve when we meet here together. And so those four weeks... In different churches, different colors, everything is different, but it doesn't matter. There's not a right way or a wrong way because it's just our tradition. It's not biblical tradition. So we can do whatever we want. So we're celebrating hope today. Hope, peace, joy, and love are the four weeks of Advent. And today we're going to talk about hope. And so Matthew chapter 1 is our first stop on the hope train. Let's read together part of the Christmas story from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. 
His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said. That's important, son of David, because it shows the Messiah came from the line of David. Okay, that was a prophecy. Matthew wrote to Jews, so there's a lot of prophecy in the book of Matthew. And so he says this, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Remember the service, the start of the service? If we believe in God, we believe in the prophets. Mm, he fights for us. Amen? Two names for the Messiah are given to us in this passage, and those are the two names that we're going to look at today because names for us aren't as significant as names in the Bible day. In that culture, you chose a name for your child based upon the characteristics of that child. So if your child was born with red hair like Esau, you named him Esau, which Harry read, okay? So there, there was a significance to the names that were chosen. So names weren't chosen on day one all the time. Sometimes it was a week after or seven, ten days after the name was given. Now, if there was a prophetic call on someone's life, you would give them this name. That's why Jacob, whose name meant deceiver, <laughs> why would you name your child deceiver? What do you think they're going to grow up to be? Deceiver. So when he wrestled with God, God says, no, I changed your name to Israel, Prince of God. So when we come to Jesus, he changes our name. Not literally, but he changes from who we were to who he's created us to be. So the names that are given to the Messiah are important. They're not just random. They tell us something about him that doesn't just matter now in December, but matters every single day of our lives. And the names that he's given, the first one is Emmanuel, God with us. The second one is the name Jesus. That's how we commonly refer to him, Jesus. That was such a common, 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 common name. That was the, in Hebrew, it's Yeshua or Joshua, meaning the Lord saves, it means salvation. That's why it says right here in the Bible, you will call him Yeshua saves because he will save his people from their sins. What I think that Jesus he will save his people from their sins, shows us is that God is for us. So today we're going to talk about, one, God is with us, and two, God is for us. And that should change every day of our lives. It should infuse every day of our lives with hope, the kind of hope that we see here in Romans chapter 4. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing he would become the father of many nations. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted it as righteous. See, Abraham was promised a son, and his body was as good as dead 
There was no chance for Abraham and Sarah to have a son. They were past childbearing years. No chance. It's impossible. And yet Abraham had the audacity to keep believing that God was going to bring it to pass. Against all hope, he believed in God. You know, this is God's will for us to believe in Jesus, even against all hope. Every day of your life, you're faced with a situation and you're either going to choose to see that situation as hopeless or you're going to continue to believe there is hope. Hope, the Bible says, is an anchor for our soul. In Hebrews chapter 6, Abraham waited patiently. He received what God had promised. God had given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Now, that's the kind of impossible that doesn't just look impossible. It's really impossible. So when God has promised something, it's impossible for him to go back on it. He does not lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. Do you know what an anchor does? You put it down so that your boat doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go with the wind and the waves and the sea. It stays put. Do you know what your soul is? Your soul is your emotions. It's your will. It's your feelings. It's your thoughts. And so you throw down that anchor into hope. What hope? That what God has promised, what God has said, his character, his nature. And no matter what I see, no matter how many wind or waves there are out there, there is a hope and it anchors my soul so that we can, Romans chapter 15, overflow with hope. I pray that God, the source of hope, did you notice that God is the source of hope? Music is not the source of hope. Worship leaders are not the source of hope. Pastors are not the source of hope. Your spouse is not the source of hope. God is the source of hope. Too many of us are trying to put our faith and trust in something other than him. We come to church and we're like, oh, I sure hope worship is good today because I need it. I don't care if it's good or not. I need to worship him. I don't care if my spouse is behaving well or my kids are behaving well or my dog is behaving well. God is the source of my hope. And I've got to anchor in him. And if you, if you trust him, if you trust him, you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to understand something. This week, I saw this so different. I love this verse. I pray this verse for people all the time, you all the time. I pray, God, let people overflow with hope through the power of your spirit. But did you see it? There's a condition. If you trust him, you will overflow with hope. That means every day of your life, you have a choice when you're faced with a situation to trust God or to trust that that person's never going to change, that that circumstance is never going to change. You're going to either believe what God said, no matter what you see, and by, as a result of that, you will start to overflow with hope. And so if you look around your life and your life is not overflowing with hope, your responses are not overflowing with hope, if they're overflowing with despair or criticism or death, well, start trusting God. Well, you don't know my spouse. You don't know my kids. You don't know my dog. <laughs> you don't know my dog. He bit me yesterday. Okay? Overflow with hope as you trust in him. Now, here's, here's why we can trust in him. Look, God is with 
us. Here's the thing. He has always been with us. Okay? He was with us before Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus coming just made it real for us. It helped us to know God is with us. Before, God was with us, but we just didn't know he was with us. Now, we know. Look at Acts chapter 17. When Paul is preaching to the, the Greeks in Athens, he says, God's purpose was for the nations to seek after him. Perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though, he is not far from any one of us. Because in him, we live and move and exist. How do I know that God was with us? Because you can't live if he's not. He is the source of all life. And if God was not with us, we'd be dead. And Jesus came to this earth. He wrapped himself in flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And he came as the exact representation of the father to show us God is with us. So when your day seems to scream at you, God is not with you, you have to tell your day, God is with me. That's the source of hope. We don't have to sit in this room today and wonder what God is like. We don't have to worry about what God is like. We don't have to guess about what God is like. We know what he's like because Jesus came as the exact representation of the Father. Not only is he with us, but he has promised to always be with us. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Do you know what that doesn't say? It doesn't say that you will never feel alone. It doesn't say that you will never look alone. It doesn't say you will never feel or look abandoned. It doesn't say that life will not be hard, even seemingly impossible. But what it assures you is God is with you and he has promised, I will always be with you. In fact, that's the last thing Jesus said before he ascended. I am with you always. And so until he says something else, that's what's true. He's with us. Not only is he with us, but he is for us. The fact, you say, well, Pastor Tom, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It says Jesus is going to save us from our sins. So how can you make that leap? I can because of Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, assumes God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. The fact that Jesus came to save you from your sins is the loudest declaration. God is for you. And everything in your life may scream, God is against you. He's angry with you. He hates you. Everything in the scripture says the opposite. He is for you, not against you. And if he gave up his son for you, why would he not also graciously give you all things? Say, well, Pastor Tom, I'd like to see those all things. Well, you have to come back next week and we'll talk about little by little and why we don't sometimes see the all things. Not because he doesn't want to give them, but because we give up. 
Because we stop believing that he wants to give us all things. See, if you anchor yourself in the fact God is with me and God is for me, I'm not giving up. Because there's a better day coming in all these things. Look at this. In all these things. What things? The hard things, the difficult things, the hopeless things, the impossible things. In all of those things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, Christmas just screams at us every single day. You will never look at my red and green socks the same again. Because every time you see them, I hope they are a testimony to you. God is for you and God is with you all the time. He's even with you when you make a mess of your life. Oh, I'm convinced nothing can separate us from him. No angels, no demons, no present, no future, no powers, no height, no depth, no nothing in all of creation. And here's the thing. You are in creation. You can't even separate you from God. I mean, you can choose not to be near him, but he refuses to stop being with you until the day. Can I tell you, there is a day coming when mercy ceases There's a judgment day that has been set. And if you don't choose him before that day, if you don't put your faith in Christ, because here's the truth. God is no longer counting our sins against us. What Christ did on the cross means God is with us and God is for us, every single one. He is kind to the righteous and the unrighteous. He's good to those that are good and he's good to those that are evil. That's who he is. That's what he's promised. He's for you. But here's the thing. If you don't choose him, if you don't put trust in him, if you don't believe in the sacrifice Christ made for you. On judgment day, you're lost. That's the end. There's no second chance. And so you've got to put your confidence in Christ. But even when we make a mess of our lives, he's with us and he's for us. He's promised to work it out, all things for our good. Even us, how do I know that? Because we're in creation. We're in creation. I do not even have the power to separate him, me from his love. Nothing I do can separate me from his love unless I continue to choose to reject him over and over and over again. God is for us. The scripture screams it. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. In Ephesians chapter 2, for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's where you were. You were dead. Not mostly dead, dead, dead. All dead. You were dead. No hope. You can't go to Miracle Max. (laughs) He's just mostly dead. I'll just create a pill for him. No, you're dead. You had no hope. You think you're in this room today because maybe you were smart enough to pick Jesus? No, you're in this room because he came to you. You didn't come to him. He came to you. We were by nature deserving wrath, but because of God's great love for us, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead, it's by grace that you've been saved. And do you know why you've been saved? You've been saved to come back into relationship with your father so that every day of your life, you can be in relationship with your father. You can understand what it's like to have a father in God. Look what Jesus taught. At that time, you don't only need to ask me for anything. You don't have to ask Jesus for anything. Who do you ask? The Father? The Father? Do you know when Jesus taught us to pray? Do you know how he taught us to pray? Our Father. And yet, often, we pray to Jesus. I'm not saying don't pray to Jesus and it's a sin to pray to Jesus, but do you know who Jesus came to reveal to you? The Father. 
Why is this important? Because Jesus says here in verse 32 of that same book, but, by the time is, but the time is coming and you will all be scattered, each one of you, all of my disciples. You're going to go your own way and you're going to leave me alone. I'm going to look abandoned. I'm going to look forsaken. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. He's with me. He's with me and he's for me. Even when he's hanging on a tree and it looks like the Father is abandoned him. He hasn't. Jesus even felt abandoned, but the father did not abandon him. The father knew when he died, he would be resurrected. He was not abandoned. He was not forsaken. He felt it. He cried out, why have you forsaken me? All of the sin of the world, something he had never felt before on his shoulders. And guess how he felt? Forsaken and abandoned. But look at the truth right before it. I'm not alone. He's for you, and he's not against you. But guess what? There is someone who is against you. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, that's what he came to do. But all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. So when Jesus said, it is accomplished, he means every promise in the book is is accomplished. Yes. Our, and through Christ, our amen ascends to the glory of God. See, you've got to speak the amen. You've got to believe God is with me, God is for me. God is with me, God is for me. God is with me, God is for me. If you just over and over and over and over and over, God is with me, God is for me. He is with me and he is for me. You've got to fight. You've got to fight. I don't know why things don't go the way we want all the time. I don't know why things don't work out. The, but here's what I know. Every promise is a resounding yes. And so until the day I die, I will die believing every promise is yes. I hope. I hope. I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to be Peter and be like, you know, I will never deny you. I know my heart and I know I'm really ready all the time to deny you. So help me not to. I know that you're for me. I know that you're not against me. So here's the thing. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you face every single day, but I know this, God is with you and he is for you. And the Bible tells us we are able to come to him, our great high priest, because he's gone into heaven. We can go right into God's throne room and we can receive mercy and find grace. See what you receive? Mercy. Do you know what mercy is? It's, what you, it's not receiving what you deserve. You know what you deserve? You deserve an F on your test because you didn't study. All right? That's what you deserve. But you know what you get? Mercy. That's what we get every time we go into the throne room of God. Mercy. Mercy. Why do you get mercy? Because of what he did for you. You get mercy, not because you, it's, you don't have to go in like this. I wonder if I'm going to get mercy today. I wonder if God's going to give me mercy. You know he's going to give you mercy. And here's the crazy thing. The enemy will say, don't go to God. Don't go to God. You're guilty. You're guilty. You keep making the same mistake over and over again. You're guilty. Don't go to him. That's because he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. Go into the throne room. Don't just receive mercy. Find grace. You know what grace is? Grace is the power to change. Grace is the power to overcome. Grace is the power to live differently. So don't just get your mercy, get your grace. Because if you don't also receive grace, 
Let us have grace so we can serve God acceptably because our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 10 warns us. In other words, you can become deceived to hear the word and not do what it says because I didn't get my grace. I didn't do what the word said. I didn't put it into practice. And look, all of a sudden, I just rejected God. It's a slow fade, little by little. We'll talk about it next week. For today, all we're going to do is go into the throne room and receive mercy and find grace. And here's the thing. I know that you're sitting there thinking, Pastor Tom, this wasn't very profound today. I already knew all of this stuff. But here's the thing. I don't want you to just know it factually. I want you to live it. Live it. And at the end of a service, we believe in the assemblies of God, in this church, what we believe is that we have time at the end of the service for prayer, for you to just really connect with God. Because here's the thing, you're not transformed because you've heard my words today. You're not transformed even because you've said amen. You're transformed because God takes the word that you've heard and he implants it in your heart. And if you continue to allow him to implant it in your heart, it has the power to save your soul. But here's the thing. When you walk out of this door today, there are problems and trials that want to scorch that word and keep it from being fruitful in your life. And so you're going to face difficulties. And if that word is shallow, so you've heard it, oh, amen, I know that. Oh, yep, good word, Pastor Tom. That's a great word, great word today. And you just walk out that door and it stays shallow, it could be scorched away and not produce fruit. So we take time to pray and say, God, get that word deep. I, it's got to go deep. And life is busy. How many of y'all are busy? I had a young man this week ask me, hey, are you busy? <laughs> I'm like, always, I'm perpetually busy, but what do you need? That's literally what I said. And then he told me what he needed, and you know what I said? I can do that. I had to make a choice. And now, It's a choice, so I'm going to choose it because I think I should do it. And so I'm going to do that for you. Now, we're all busy. And the word says that the busyness of life can choke out the fruitfulness of the word. Meaning we just forget to stop thinking about it. We forget to just, just because life is busy. So we're going to take time right now to declare, I know you are for me. And to get it deep in our spirits. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to sing a song together. And I I didn't want the worship team to come back. And so I put it on the screen and we're going to sing together this song. And then I'm going to dismiss in prayer. And if you need to go, you can be be dismissed at that point. And if you want to linger, you can linger. I'm going to invite our prayer team to the front. Because if you need prayer, you just say, I need someone to agree with me today. I know that God's for me and I know that he's he's with me. But I just need someone to to just join hands with me and pray with me for it, for this situation. Because I'm struggling. We want to pray with you. We want to invite you. If you want to come and kneel at the altar, if you want to pray, if you want to stand here, however you want to get this word deep in your heart, but we're going to declare today that God is with us and God is for us. So let's sing it together. So faithful so constant so loving and so true so powerful in all you do you fill me you see me you know my every move you love for me to see 
Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth as God with us to remind us that he is always with us, that he is always for us. Holy Spirit, write that deep into our hearts right now. Write your name upon our hearts. You are faithful. You are true. You are gracious. You are good. You are kind. You love us. But God, help us today not to receive that grace in vain. God, help us today to press in to know you more to know you more Holy Spirit I pray your blessing over this body today as we leave would you bless them and keep them would you cause your face to shine on them would you be gracious to them lift up your countenance upon them God give them peace I pray in Jesus name Amen and if you want to spend some time in prayer, the altars are always open to you. If you need prayer, our prayer team is here. If you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some time here. God bless you as you go.